All right, ladies and gentlemen, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're at in the world. I am Jason, your co-host here with our sovereign Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, at our side. This is an EDU segment, an educational segment. Uh, These are not live. We are going to be continuing part three of a reading of the Magna Carta. These will be just short little bits, just little educational pieces for those who don't really care to read the Magna Carta on their own terms. So where we left off from the last two podcasts is at uh, section 17 here in the Magna Carta. And it reads, Common pleas shall not follow our court, but shall be held in some fixed place. Now, basically what that means is that common pleas, which were certain legal proceedings related to disputes and grievances of common people, would no longer follow or be tried before the king's court or the royal court, but instead they would be held in a fixed or specific location. Now, this clause was also significant because it limited the authority of the king and established the idea that certain legal matters should be dealt with locally. Now, rather than be uh, being subject to the whims of the royal court, and it contributed to the development of the principle of due process and access to justice for common people in medieval England. All right. Now, section 18 reads, Inquest of novel dissension of Morty ancestor and of Darien presentment shall not be elsewhere than in their own county courts in the in manner following we or if should be out of the realm our chief just uh boy is a really weird word justice seeker will send two two judiciaries through every county four times a year who shall alone with four knights of the county chosen by the county hold the said assizes in the county court on the day and in place of meeting of that court so basically what this is saying here in section 18 is that these clauses deal with specific legal procedures called inquests related to property disputes so number one an inquest of novel decision it refers to inquiries into cases where um someone claims that they were wrongfully dispossessed of their land or property now the second part which is of mort de ancestor this refers to inquiries into cases where someone claims a right to an inheritance based on the death of an ancestor and then number three of Darain presentment that refers to inquiries into cases involving disputes over the most recent presentation of a clergy member to a church benefice. All right. So this the, the clause states that these inquests should only be conducted in the county where the dispute arises spe- uh, specifically in the county courts. Now, this process involved sending two justices, judges, in other words, into each county four times a year. And these justices, along with four knights chosen by their county, would hold these legal proceedings in the county court on the designated day and location. Now, the clause was significant because it ensured that these types of property disputes would be dealt with locally and in a manner that reduced the king's interference and helped establish the principle of local jurisdiction and justice. All right. Now, section 19 here. 
And if any of the said assizes cannot be taken on the day of the county court, let there remain of the knights and freeholders who were present at the county court on that day, as many as may be required for the efficient making of judge judgments, according as the business be more or less. So basically, this deals with the practicality of conducting legal, legal proceedings known as assizes in county courts. And here's a breakdown of its meaning. So basically, um, if any of the said assizes cannot be taken on the day of the county court, this part acknowledges that sometimes for various reasons, it might not be possible to conduct the legal assizes on the scheduled day in the county court. Now, the part that says, let there remain of the knights and freeholders who were present at the county court on that day. In such cases here, this clause suggests that some of the knights like local nobles and freeholders, land-owning commoners who attended the county court on that day should stay behind. Now, the part that says, as many as may be required for the efficient making of judgment according uh, judgments according to the business be more or less, that basically means that the number of knights and freeholders who remain behind should be sufficient to ensure that judgments in the legal proceedings can be efficiently made. And depending on the complexity or volume of cases, or business um, that needs to be addressed. And so basically, in essence, this part of the clause recognizes that flexibility uh, might be needed in scheduling and conducting legal proceedings in county courts to ensure that justice is served effectively, taking into account the practical considerations of the time. And it reinforces the idea of local participation in legal matters and local judgment, kind of like, you know, self-governing, right, with our assemblies. Now, section 20 here, it reads, a free man shall not be immersed for a slight offense except in accordance with the degree of the offense and for a grave offense he shall be immersed in accordance with the gravity of the offense, yet saving always his contentment and a merchant in the same way, saving his merchandise and a villain, a villain shall be immersed in the same way, saving his wainage if they have fallen into our mercy and none of the aforesaid immersement shall be imposed except by the oath of honest men of the neighborhood. So basically what this addresses in this section is it addresses the principles of fair punishment and fines for different classes of individuals, particularly free men, merchants, and villains in medieval England. So basically what's that mean? Well, a free man shall not be immersed for a slight offense except in accordance to the degree of the offense. So this basically states that a free man or a person who is not a serf or a slave should be fined excessively for a minor offense. Should not be fined excessively for a minor offense. And so the fine should be proportional to the severity of the wrongdoing. Now, the part where it says in a grave offense, he shall be immersed in accordance with the gravity of the offense, yet saving always his contentment. If a freeman commits a serious offense, then the fine should still uh, be commensurate of the with the seriousness of the crime. So, however, the freeman's livelihood or contentment should be preserved. Now, the part that says, and a merchant in the same way, saving his merchandise, similarly, a merchant should not be excessively fined for minor offenses. And in the case of serious offenses, the fine should not be proportionate or excuse me, should be proportionate while preserving their merchandise or business. And then the part that says, and a villain shall be immersed in the same way, saving his wainage if they have fallen into our mercy. Now, even villains, right? Peasants who lived or who were tied to the land that they worked, 
villains or villains. I believe it's pronounced villains, villains. But they should face fines, again, proportionate to their offenses and their livelihood, right? Their it should be preserved, especially if they have come under the authority of the king. And then the last one here where it says, and none of the aforesaid amercements shall be imposed except by the oath of honest men of the neighborhood. Importantly, these fines or amercements should only be imposed based on the testimony or oath of honest local people who are familiar with the situation, right? Ensuring a fair and just process. Absolutely unbiased. Just the way our grand jury should be, right? So basically, in summary, this clause emphasizes fairness and proportionality in imposing fines for different classes of individuals and underscores the importance of local testimony in determining these fines. And it's a significant part of the Magna Carta legacy in promoting principles of justice and limiting the arbitrary power of rulers. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Now, section 21 says, earls and barons shall not be immersed except through their peers and only in accordance with of the offense. So this addresses the rights and limitations related to fines or immersements for nobles, specifically earls and barons in medieval England. And so some of the, what this means is it just states that, you know, earls or high ranking nobles and barons, which were lesser nobles, cannot be fined or subjected to immersements without the involvement of their equals or their peers, right? So in other words, these fines should be determined by a group of their fellow nobles rather than by the king or other authorities. Hmm. I'm not sure how fair that sounds, but I could see there was a little, a little, uh, scale tipping on that one. Um, and then the part where it says, and only in accordance with the degree of the offense. Well, when such fines are imposed, they should really be directly related to you know, to the severity or degree of the offense committed by the Earl or Baron. Right. And so the punishment should be proportionate to the wrongdoing. So overall, this clause is significant because it reinforces the idea that even nobles are subject to the law and that their fines should be determined fairly and in accordance with the seriousness of their actions. And so it helps establish principles of legal fairness and limits the arbitrary power of the monarch, right? None of this rules for me and not for thee kind of mentality, right? All right, section 22 of the Magna Carta. A clerk shall be immersed or shall not be immersed in respect of his lay holding except after the manner of the others aforesaid. Further, he shall not be immersed in accordance with the extent of his ecclesiastical benefits. So basically this passage from clause 22 of the Magna Carta stipulates that a clergyman or a clerk cannot be fined for his secular property or possessions in a manner different from others. So he basically should not be fined based on the value or extent of his religious office or benefits. So in essence, it emphasizes equal treatment and fair fines for clergy in both the secular and the ecclesiastical roles. Okay. Section 23, clause 23 of the Magna Carta. No villain or individual shall be compelled to make bridges at riverbanks except those who from of old were legally bound to do so. So this passage from the Magna Carta ensures that villages or individuals are not forced to construct bridges at riverbanks unless they have a wrong, a longstanding legal obligation to do so. And so basically what it does is it protects the communities from being burdened with new bridge building responsibilities. And then of course, the last section we're going to read for this show tonight for this little segment of the EDU spot uh, clause 24, no sheriff, constable, coroner, or others of our bailiffs shall hold pleas of our crown. 
So again, what this passage means is that certain officials, such as sheriffs, constables, coroners, or bailiffs, royal bailiffs, right? They are prohibited from presiding over legal cases involving the king's interest or the crown. And so this emphasizes the separation of powers and the need for impartiality in the legal system by preventing these officials from having a direct role in such cases. So that is where we're going to leave it off for now. Like I said, we're going to make these little educational segments a short and sweet, 10 to 15 minutes, depending on how, you know, how many uh, passages I have here. Um, but again, the reason why we do this is because the, you know, the general podcast that we do typically goes a little bit too long and it's even still a little too long. So I'm just doing this whenever I can. So the next EDU spot that we are going to leave off here, uh, we are going to, leave off with clause 24 and the next one's going to start off with clause 25 of the magna carta i hope you all have a great day night wherever you're at in the world and god bless ladies and gentlemen yeah.